Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Okay, the summer is officially over. Summer of wisdom is over. <laughs> I hope many of you guys got wise. Uh, I heard that in one of the, uh, at least in our community group, the ladies, they sat together and they talked about what was an important takeaway you had from Proverbs. And I, I hope you did. I hope you had at least one good takeaway. I got at least five, okay? Um, so I'm really grateful for the summer. But now I'd like us to shift gears, and we're going to start a new series on the church. And I've been thinking about and praying about a sermon series on the church for quite some time. And here we are. We're starting now, and we're going to start simply, and hope, but hopefully in a very important way, on a message about grace and peace. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. I'm going to read a couple of verses and for those of you who may have grown up in the church or may are familiar with the Bible somewhat, you tend to probably, these first couple verses in so many books, say something like this. And they say these words, grace and peace, and it just goes right by you. <laughs> it's the kind of thing that seems so common, so mundane, it's, it's not any different than if someone were to say hi or hello, and it just goes right by you, but it, it shouldn't. So it's so important, and I want to start off talking about the church, the meaning of the church, the glory of the church, the importance of the church. I want to talk about this thing that says right here at the beginning, grace and peace. So let me read it. Chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. This is the word of God. This is what Paul says. To the church of God that is in Corinth. So let me put it this way. To the church of God that is in San Jose. <laughs> to those sanctified to those being made holy, in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, here's what you get. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say it one more time. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray for that, our message now. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. That's the first thing that Paul says to all the churches. It's the first thing that's said in so many of these books, Lord. And that is what must be locked down in our church more than anything, that we would be a beacon for grace and for your peace. So, use this babbling lips today, Lord. And I pray that you would lock down, not just as an idea or as a principle, or even as just a set of words, but by faith, deep into our hearts, lock down our hearts. What we need from you, most of all, to really be the church, the church that points to the true and living God, which is so desperately needed in a dark and hungry and dying world. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, just as an intro to this uh, message, you know that almost every book in the New Testament starts off this way? Paul starts off every single... All, all the things that you've... Re, you need, do you know that we're reading mail? <laughs> That's what much of the New Testament is. It's mail. It's very divine inspired and holy mail 
But Paul wrote a bunch of letters, some to churches, some to individuals. And he almost always starts off grace and peace. But it's not just Paul. Just to give you a, a feel for this, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. This is how Peter starts his epistle. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ. You see the whole trinity is there. Foreknowledge of God the Father, sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with His blood. Do you know what he says next? May grace and peace be multiplied to you. And if that wasn't an accident, in 2 Peter, when he writes another letter, you know what he says? May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. You guys in broken records. Uh, Just 2 John, chapter 1. So John, all the apostles, they all got to say this. It's so important. They all feel the need to say this. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. That's what he says. Oh, just one more. Many of you have heard this book called Revelation, and some of you know that it's a very mysterious book with all these weird images and has strange prophecies. And it, it, it's a really strange book, okay? But at the beginning of Revelation, you know what it says? Revelation 1.4. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. That's Jesus, of course. So, we're talking about the church. And what is a church? And in this message today, I want to say it is a beacon. It is a beacon into a world. The beacon, what are we beaconing? A beacon is a light that's flashing. It's flashing a signal into a world. We are a beacon, first and foremost, of grace and peace. That's what we are. That's the first thing I want to say. We are a beacon of grace and peace. And to get at this... I have three parts to my message. Part one is hunger and darkness. Hunger and darkness. Part two is grace and bread. (laughs) Grace and bread. Part three, shalom. Shalom. I thought you were going to talk about peace, Pastor. (laughs) I'm going to talk about grace. Then you're going to talk about peace. Well, I'm going to... Say, tell you something about shalom, and I'll explain that a little bit later. And some of you may already know kind of where I'm going there if you've been in our church for a while. But part three is going to be about shalom. Right? Now let's talk about hunger and darkness. Um, I had breakfast with Pastor Yoon this past Thursday. We have breakfast periodically. And we talk about shop. <laughs> we talk about church. But we don't only talk about church. We sometimes talk about ministry. We talk about the Bible. Sometimes we're just men. Sometimes we talk about how we're discouraged or what's hard for us. We talk about um, the people that we love and are trying to minister to. And he said something very interesting. He said, you know why churches fight? You know why there's fighting inside of a church? And that's one of the reasons why people don't find churches very... They don't find them credible. Lots of people who are non-Christians, they hear about these churches and they hear the news about the way they fight. And they know people who say they're Christians and they know some of the things that go on in the churches and the hypocrisy and the anger and the bitterness and the jealousy and all the rest. 
But it's not even just the people outside the church. It's people inside the church. People inside the church. We come into the church, and there's fighting. Sometimes the fighting isn't overt. We don't get out and put on the gloves and hit each other. But we, what we do is we do it. Because on the outside, we have to be nice, good Christians. So what we do is we have to say this little passive aggression piece of like, with my words, let me stab you in the back. You know what would really be helpful to you, sister? If you just had a little more Bible in your life. But it's not, and that word is a perfectly good word, but it's the way you say it. <laughs> it's the way you say it with that little bit of superiority and self-righteousness and put down, right? And that's in the church. And Pastor Eunice saying, you know, why, why, does, why do people fight in the church? And he said something funny. At least I thought it was interesting. He said, it's because people are hungry. I like that, I like that mean. He goes, he goes, you know, Pastor, you know, Muksanim? Muksanim is the word that's the respectful Korean word for pastor in, uh, in, in Korean. You know, he treats me with respect. I certainly treat him with respect, too. He goes, Muksanim, you know that when people are hungry, they fight. And just imagine this. I know that that seems a little odd in our society because we're an overweight society, okay? Uh, we have more than enough food in our society. But just imagine if you can just pop down to the nearest 7-Eleven and pick up your, your Big Gulp and your Twinkie and all the other stuff that you like to shove down your, 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 your mouth when you're getting those munchies. Or you can go down to the supermarket and there's massive food at the supermarket or Costco or where you like to go. Just imagine if that wasn't the case. So let's say you pop on your internet, because I know you don't read newspapers. I mean, who the heck reads newspapers? That's so 1980s, right? <laughs> All right? Or let's say you turn on the TV and the news or the radio says, there is no more food in San Jose. What would you do? You'd go, is that true? you get off your phone, because that's how I get, I get my news. I have a little news feed on my Yahoo or something like that. And then, and then, what? There's no food? I pop into my, I drive down a car, get on down to the supermarket. And you know what, they're, they're, what would happen? There'd be fights. There'd be fights for that last bottle of water. There'd be fights for my nacho cheese Doritos, which is quite important in our house. Okay? There'd be fights over those things. But you know, in this world, everybody's hungry. And it's just, but it's not for Twinkies <laughs> or nacho cheese Doritos. You're hungry and you show up at church and the people show up at church, they're hungry. But they're not hungry for things like food. You're hungry for things like meaning. You're hungry for purpose. You're hungry for belonging, for acceptance, for love. For truth. Aren't these the things you're hungry for? Everybody's actually hungry for this thing. But people don't go to church. Um, there's a very commonplace thing that's said in our society today, and maybe you hear your, your friends and your neighbors say this, or maybe you say this. <laughs> I'm into God, but I don't like institutional religion. And so the church, the church is just institutional religion, right? It's just, just BS people doing their BS religion 
And how are you going to get God from that? I'm interested in God. I want God. But there's an assumption there. There's an assumption there that just you and God, that's good enough. That somehow you're going to tap into God all by yourself. But institutional religion, that's bad. Well, let me just tell you something. Everybody does institutional religion. You do? Wait a second, pastor. I'm, I'm an agnostic. I'm secular. You guys are Christians. You guys are institutional religion. I don't. Everybody does institutional religion. Let me give you the, the, mo- uh, the most common piece of institutional religion in our society, which almost everybody does. It's called public school. <laughs> public school is about education. It's about math and science and reading and writing. It's not religion, really. If so, then you have a very poor definition of religion, a very shallow definition of religion. Religion is the named stuff by which people try to figure out the meaning of life. Hinduism and Buddhism and Christianity and Judaism. Of course, we all know there's a religions. But everybody has to have a way of figuring out what makes life matter, what is good, what is right, what is wrong. Who is God? Does God matter? Is there a God? And you know, the public school operates with a whole set of assumptions about those things. And you can't and raise up a set of kids without religion. You absolutely need it. You have, the, the kids go to school, you don't just teach them algebra or pre-algebra or arithmetic. You also say, hey, be good, little Johnny. If you don't do this, you're not going to out, turn out right. There's a whole set of assumptions about this. That's religion. Hmm? And yet, the whole world is hungering, hungering, hungering. It's one of, the, it's one of the, the metaphors that the Bible uses to diagnose the problem of the world. You're hungry. You're hungry. Actually, the Bible's uh, much richer. There's some other metaphors that the Bible, some pictures that the Bible uses to describe the world. It's dark. So it's actually much worse than that. We're hungry, and then because we're hungry, we're fearful, and then we bump up against each other, and we're bumping up against each other, and as we bump up against us, we hurt. And then we fight, and we don't get along. We're unhappy. Just go back to this hunger analogy. You know what hunger actually is? Every, every day, you know, if you don't eat your breakfast, you get hungry, right? If you don't eat any lunch, you get hungry, and then you don't like pull a little snack. Most of you aren't going to make it from 1 o'clock to 6 o'clock without starting to feel something. Some hung, pangs down there. So you pull out a, some chips or some fruit or whatever you do in the middle of the day, and hopefully it'll be something healthy. But you know what hunger actually is? It's actually, it's a reminder that you're dying. It's literally what it is. Your body doesn't have enough life in it. And the energy that sustains your body is depleting all the time. And so you have to put something inside of your mouth to replenish that life energy. So every single day, you're reminded that you are dying. Hunger is is a reminder that there's not enough life. That's really what it is. And when the Bible says the world is hungry, it's actually pointing to something deeper. And then the world is dark. And it's worse. The Bible says you're blind. That we're blind. And that we're deaf. And that we're dumb. Do you think that Jesus 
went ahead and healed all these people of their blindness and their deafness and their dumbness just because he was saying, I'm super powerful, watch this. That's not what he was doing. He's making a commentary on what he came to do. He's making a commentary on the whole problem of the world. You're deaf and you're blind and you're dumb. Recently, Frank uh, um, shared a song with me that I really like. Um, I sent it out. I sent this link out to my... I found it on YouTube because that's what everybody does. now. People find a song that they like. They upload it to YouTube and now everybody can listen to it for free, okay? And then every now and then people put the lyrics up there. So I, I, I found it on YouTube and I sent the link to the people in the discipleship group. Maybe I'll, I'll send it out to everybody today after service. The song is called Grace Alone. And it's sung by a guy named Dustin Kensrue. And Dustin Kensrue used to be the front man of a punk rock band. I love, his, I love this story. He was a front man of a punk rock band. And then he got saved. And now he leads praise and worship at one of the campuses at Mars Hill. Mars Hill's church is a huge church. You know, they have, they have multiple campuses. But at one of the campuses, he leads the praise. And I think it's in one of the verses in the song... Ken's Ruse says, my head was filled with rocks and my heart was made of stone. That's what he says. And you saved me by grace alone. So we're deaf, we're dumb, we're blind, we're in the dark, we're hungry, with a head full of rocks and a heart full of stone. That's a pretty bad situation, isn't it? That's God's diagnosis of the world. you believe that? And then the reason a lot of people think the church is just so, just like whatever, is just, first of all, you just don't believe that. But that's the first, I want to say, you you can't understand that the church is special. The church is important if you don't first show up and just understand this is the state of who you are a head full of rocks, and a heart filled with stone. Other things about us, we're stiff-necked. We're prideful. We don't listen. That's why it's like this thing. And that's the state. When Jesus came and did his ministry, he did a number of different miracles, and I already told you about some of them. One, you know, he healed the blind and made the, the, the deaf to hear. But there's one particular miracle that all four of the Gospels, the the four books of the Bible that record the acts of the ministry of Jesus are called the Gospels. I know it gets a little confusing because we say the Gospel, we proclaim the Gospel, but those particular books are, those four books are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Do you know that some of the materials, for those of you, I'm not sure how many of you have read through all four Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or how familiar, how deeply familiar you are with them, but that some of the material repeats but some of the material that's in one book that's not in, is not in another book. There's material in Matthew that's not in Mark. There's stories that are in Luke that's not in John. But John has stories that the others don't have. Do you know that, that the Christmas story is not told by all four of these guys? Do you know that? So the Christmas story, that's pretty darn important, you would think, right? If it's so important, one, all four of them said, Okay, let me tell you about Jesus. Let's start with Christmas. But actually, only Matthew and Luke start with Christmas. But all four of the Gospels 
tell you this miracle, and that's the miracle where Jesus fed 5,000. You know, they all, they all tell you that miracle. All four of them have to tell you that story. And then it's actually even more important than that. All, they, so, uh, there's even another miracle called the feeding of the 4,000. <laughs> so Jesus did this miracle and said, you guys need to get this. And then, as if it wasn't in, absolutely astounding enough to watch 5,000, and you know, scholars like to say that that's only counting the men, so there must have been the women and the children too. So there, literally it must have been maybe more like fifteen or 20,000. Because, you know, those Israeli women back then, they popped out a lot of kids, okay? It's not unlike today where we only have one or two. They, they had five or six. And Jesus fed all of them. Okay. So he had the feeding of the 5,000. He had the feeding of the 4,000. And so can you just imagine being there? So Jesus stands up. He preaches. He's like a rock star. Thousands and thousands of people come out. He must have been a loud guy. So if you think I'm loud, Jesus, and you don't like loud people, then you, you, you just, just be calm. Just be calmed down because Jesus was louder than me. I cannot talk to 20,000 plus people, but Jesus apparently could. So you must have had a pretty darn good voice. Right? At least a powerful voice. So he preaches, and after it's over, he turns to his guys and he says, okay, hey, feed them. And they're looking at him going, uh... And, and this is the way the Bible puts it. If every, if we fed every, there wouldn't be enough for a little speck, a little crumb for everybody. Um, duh! And the way I always imagine it looking, since Peter's the one that likes to talk, he'd probably... So that's what it says in the scriptures. I think this is what he actually said. What the heck are you talking about, Jesus? <laughs> are you kidding? Now, of course, you don't talk to Jesus like that because... Because he'll probably pull out some crazy stuff on you, and you're like, Arr. so they just kind of went, um, that might be kind of hard. <laughs> what food we got? Well, and then one of the other guys, and probably, I can just imagine, Peter's the leader of the gang. One of the other so called dumber disciples goes, hey, we got a kid here. He got his food. What's he got? Five barley loaves. I don't even like barley. Five barley loaves and two fish. That's what he got. Pastor Yoon was telling me that he and his wife were talking about this matter of churches fighting because they're hungry. And, and then he said, and then my wife really stunned me. She just, went, she just said, matter-of-factly, well, everybody's just got to have their own lunch. If everybody just had their own lunch, we'd be Okay. And he said that to me. And if, I don't know if you've ever met Pastor Yoon's wife. She has a way, she has this way of cutting to the chase. And as soon as I heard that, I knew she was thinking about John chapter 6 or all the other passages. In John chapter 6, Jesus does this miracle. And you know what he does? He lets everybody get a lunch. So you get this five loaves and two fish. And by the way, that's, uh, that's probably not... That's a lunch, enough lunch for maybe two people. Maybe. And then that wouldn't be a much of a lunch for two people. It's probably more like one person and, and here, you can have a couple of the breads. <laughs> Last night, we actually, I'm, I'm not making this, we literally had fish. And um, so there was a plate between my wife and me and it had two fish on it. <laughs> so I, my wife didn't know I was going to preach on this. There was two fish on it 
And before I was at the start, my youngest Elizabeth said, Daddy, that's for you and Mommy. <laughs> that one is for you, and the other one is for Mom. <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, I think I figured that one out. <laughs> but the reason she said that, I think, is because she was afraid I was going to eat both of them. <laughs> <laughs> and leave none for Mom. Mom would get none. So Daddy, you know, you fatty. <laughs> you eat one. Essentially, that was her nice way of saying, just eat one, okay, Dad? <laughs> so, that's two fish. There's only two fish there, and, you know, I ate the one, and honestly, I could eat another one easily. And my, my daughter clearly knows I could eat another one. There's not a whole lot of food. Two fish, five loaves. And we're not talking about these big old loaves. They're probably like a smaller loaf. And then they start passing this stuff out. And you know what the Bible said? After the meal was over, they had 12 basketfuls left over. That's what it says. They ate the food, and everybody was filled. And then there was a leftover. There was actually more. So we can actually give more away. That's what it said. All four of the Gospels record it. And some of them say, okay, let's tell the story again because Jim Jesus said I'd do it again with 4,000 dudes. And you know what's supposed to happen in the church? You get to eat your lunch. But the lunch is not, you know, whatever Korean soup we got going on, right? Or, or Taco Bell or... Sometimes, every, occasionally, one of our members brings Taco Bell for lunch. I was like, Taco Bell, that's what we're going to have after service today, okay? Or, or, um, or donuts. It's a lot better than that. In John chapter 6, Jesus makes it really explicit. He does the miracle, and after it's over, you know what he says? He says, I am the bread of life. And if you eat this bread, you will not be hungry. I'm the bread of life. And that takes me to part two, grace and bread. That's what the church is about. Some of you are going like, where am I going to get this bread? All right, I, I need some, okay, 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 pastor, I'm hungry. Okay, so I need to eat. What do I need to do? Just receive. <laughs> what will it cost me? It's free. What you, actually, what you really need to do is bring your crud, bring your tiredness, bring your anger, bring your unforgiveness, your disappointments, your hurts, your tiredness, the deep, deep well of hunger. And here, you get bread for free. You know what we call that? We call that grace. That's what we call it. That's what the church has to be about. First and foremost, we proclaim that the bread of life for hungry people is given for free grace. You know what you first need to do when you first come to church? Eat. I'm not talking about your food this morning. Eat and have Jesus inside of you. You're like, well, that's a, and that's a weird analogy. You know how you eat? You eat through your ears. 
That's hard when you are a deaf people, huh? And then it's, it's a strange thing. Well, the food has to go through your heart. It's hard for food to go through a stone, isn't it? And then it has to go into, not your stomach, but it has to go into your soul. And you know what's inside your soul? An infinite chasm. And that's why this stomach that we call a soul, the Bible calls it, is hungry for an infinite food. And it needs to be a person, and that is Jesus. That's what he offers. The church, every single Sunday, we offer a meal. And it sounds really stupid. It looks really stupid. It sounds so stupid, the disciples don't even believe it. The people who are supposed to believe it don't even believe it. That's why we fight. So we show up at the church. We show up at the church and all our sins start spilling out. The sins. They're like, well, we we sin against each other? Sure we do. We sin with our self-righteousness. We go, hey, I'm hungry. You know what we do? You, you didn't love me. You didn't, you weren't considerate to me. You didn't love me. If you loved me, then I wouldn't be so hungry. You snubbed me. Aren't you supposed to be my brother? But you're a lousy brother. <laughs> you forgot about me. So you didn't feed me. So we're, we're, we're saying, you feed me. There, there's Ten Commandments, and most people can understand the importance of some of them. Like, you shall not murder. You don't have to believe in God to understand that's one of the big ten. Don't murder. That's pretty bad. There's, you shall not commit adultery. I was like, oh, yeah, you married her. Why the heck are you in bed with her? That's evil. You do not, you could be a total atheist. You get what that, why those are one of the Ten Commandments. But there's this one funny little commandment. It's called, you shall not covet. It's number ten. And a lot of people go, why is that such a big deal? You know what that is? You look at somebody else, and it says in the Bible, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet your neighbor's donkey. <laughs> you shall not covet your neighbor's donkey. What? Let me, let me update it. You shall not covet the fact that your friend's girlfriend is really pretty, and you wish you had a girlfriend who loved you the way she loves him. So you hungry, and you look at him, and you wish you had what he had, and what he had, if you had what he had, you wouldn't be so hungry, coveting. You look at your car. That's, that's the modern-day donkey, by the way. I drive a Honda Civic. He drives a BMW 3 Series. And the BMW 3 Series, it, it says everything. He's made it in life. He has more money than you. He has more success than you. He has more respect than you. He's not as hungry as you. And so you look at him, and you're jealous of him. And then you hate it when he shows up and says, I got this. You know what you're saying? We're saying, I need to have more status than you. That's what coveting is. It's a sign of hungry, rock-headed, stone-hearted, stupid, folly-filled, pride-filled, people bumping against each other in the dark of the night. Not happy. And it's in the church. 
But the church, what do we offer? We offer a meal. And we offer that meal through a word. And that word we call the gospel. And the gospel proclaims, you are desperately hungry and blind and stupid and falling and hurting people and hurting in yourself. And Jesus lived the life you should have lived so he could die and feed you with himself. That's the gospel. And you know what it is? It's all free by grace. That's what the church has to have. Because you can't get the bread of life anywhere else. You know that? You cannot get this bread which will fill this infinite stomach that's infinitely empty called your soul. You just cannot get that anywhere else. Try going in and out. Try finding it at your company. When your VP says to you, you are awesome. We're going to give you a great promotion. And we're going to give you way more stock options. And then, we will pro- and then we will honor you at the banquet and we'll say, you are awesome. See if that fills the infinite stomach called your soul. And some of you are going to be like, if I just get the girlfriend, or if I just get the wife, my wife would just do better for me. So you're like, because you know what your problem with your, your marriage is? You don't got a lunch. You need to eat your own lunch. You just, just listen to the words of Pastor Yoon's wife. You just need to eat lunch, man. Your marriage will get better if you eat lunch. And you know what we offer here at church? The lunch. For the 5,000, for the 500,000, for the millions, actually. That's what we offer in church. And people don't think it's much because it just looks like five loaves and two fish. I can't even get fill on that. It's only got, like, I only get to eat one of those fish, just like I was thinking last night. I was like, okay, I'll be gracious. Let my wife have the other one. Since my daughter is, like, you know, haranguing her dad, okay? And, but you come into church, and you look at the thing that's made by man. If the band is good enough, and if, if, the, if the fool up front talks well enough, and if the people around me, and we clamor for each other, and we even do this too, so it gets, we come in with all our righteousness. We need stuff to happen in this church so the church will be good. So we need some people to serve. So then there's a set of people that go, oh, the pastor, the fool up front, says that if he says these words, we'll eat. And we'll get Jesus inside of us, and somehow we will be less hungry. That's what the fool up front says. And then the fool up front says, we should do these things because the Bible says we should serve one another. Oh. They don't know how to eat. And then there's another set of people, they go, I know how to eat. I have Jesus inside of me. I'm going to serve. And then they serve and they do this stuff. But after a while, you know what they do? They think, hey, but that guy's not serving. And that guy's not serving. And when I try to serve people who are (laughs) rock-headed, it's not fun to serve people who are rock-headed and stone-hearted, is it? You're supposed to receive this. You're supposed to love me back. You're supposed to be kind. You're supposed to show up. You're supposed to change, but you're not changing. You suck. (laughs) But I'm better than you. And then people do this for a while, and then you know what they say? Then the word, I've heard this word so many times in the church. I I wish I actually had a dollar for every time I've heard people say this in the church. I'm burnt out. I'd have a lot of money. (laughs) But you know what you're doing? 
you're running while you're hungry. Burnt out is just another way of saying, I haven't eaten my lunch. I don't have Jesus inside of me. That's the only real answer for it. It's the only real answer. Because if you're expecting rock-headed, stone-hearted people to fill your empty, empty vessel, the infinite stomach we call the soul, you are not doing something very smart. (laughs) I mean, it's like going to your tire and trying to eat your tire. (laughs) Let me eat my car. It's It's not a good thing to try to eat. But Jesus will feed you with himself. And we call that grace. That was part two of my message. Let me talk about part three. Most people actually aren't looking for grace when they come to the church. You know that? That's part of the problem with the church. The church, if it's any good, you know what we offer? Grace. You know what the grace is? It's a message about Jesus. And Jesus is the bread. That's what the church does. We stand up and say, grace of Jesus, the gospel. That's what some people go, but you know what people are really looking for? They are looking for this. They're looking for shalom. Now, why am I saying shalom? The Bible said it's grace and peace. Actually, it's just because in English, we just don't have a good word. It's actually just a poor translation. I'm sorry. I don't want you to distrust your English translations because these are actually, actually very good. But it's a, it's a limitation not of the translation ability. It's a limitation of our language. The word peace in Greek is, it comes from irani. And irani is a translation from the Hebrew, shalom. It's shalom to irani. And in you're reading it as peace. In the English mind, peace just means that guy gets along with that guy. <laughs> But do you notice Paul didn't say grace and get along with each other. Get along and don't fight. Get along and don't fight. Get along and don't be backbiting. That's not what he says. He didn't say grace and get along. He didn't say that. He said grace and irani. And when he's thinking about it, he means shalom. What what should be for you? Grace and shalom. And here's what shalom really means. It doesn't just mean I don't fight with this person. Shalom means wholeness and completion. When there's life flowing out of you, when everything is the way it's supposed to be, that's what it means. Shalom is when the person has hatred and anger, but instead of hatred and anger, there's actually a fountain of love. Shalom is when instead of there being jealousy and covetousness, there's actually contentment. And even out of whatever smallness thing you have, there's still contentment and still generosity. That's shalom. Shalom isn't when sisters or brothers do passive-aggressive backbiting. It's when they look at each other and their I love you actually means I love you. Their yes is a yes. Their no is a no. I will serve you. I'll be there for you. I love you. And that's what it means. That's shalom. And people believe it. That's what it is. And the whole world's looking for this thing. 
show up <clears throat> in a community and where the people have this. But you know, shalom comes out of grace. That's what happens. First you eat. Then you feel happy. Aren't you happy when you eat? And then we love each other. Out of the well of having been loved, then we can have shalom. That's what happens. That's the way it works. And in the church, you know, you, you go to churches and when rock-headed, stone-hearted people show up at church and they do all this stuff because they're not interested in grace. <laughs> they're, but they're all clamoring for shalom. We're trying to make shalom. There is no such thing as man-made shalom. Men cannot cook it up. We cannot make it. Try it. Just try it. That's why I think, you know, that's why I, have, I know that sometimes you come to this church and you think, how does this pastor stand up there and he just pours contempt on the wisdom of the world? Because I just know these secular wisdom through the science and through the psychology and through the therapy and all those other kinds of stuff, and I'm not against these things because there is some wisdom in it. They cannot produce shalom. Men cannot produce shalom. Only God can. And you know where he does it? church I know it looks like a stupid organization but we're not even talking about the organization the people the family where they eat grace and out of it comes little beacons of light of shalom and you know you, you go into a church and here's what it's mostly like you go into a church whether that's 5,000 or 500 or 50 and most of them, the people in there are saying, I need shalom. I'm hungry. Feed me. And then what they do is they look for man-made shalom. They look for their brothers and sisters to do it for them. They look for their friends and family and pastor, do this for me, fix me. Church, give me. But actually, what you'll see is someone will do it out of righteous self-righteousness. Some will, we're all just, we come in, you're like, oh, that's, is that it? Is that all you got? They hear the word of the grace, and they go, oh, is that all you got? And then they walk out because they won't receive it. But in the, there'll be a pocket in the church. There'll be a pocket of someone in the church, maybe over here in a, in a community group, maybe over there. It could be two people crying in the corner. Someone has eaten of Jesus. And then they actually have food left over. And then they go to one of their friends and says, I see that you're hungry. Let me offer you some of the Jesus inside of my heart and serve you. You know what's happening? They won't come out of it. Shalom comes out of it. And in churches, it's not usually perfectly there. It's kind of like in little pieces. Even in the church, it's just little beacons here and there. But when the beacon starts getting bigger and bigger and bigger, people will show up because they got to eat. It was like, I heard there's food over here. And that's what the church offers. Grace and shalom for hungry people. But first you got to eat. It comes with the grace first, always. And then the shalom and the peace will come flowing out. And the church will become more and more beautiful. And we'll be happy. (laughs) 
a little bite. We'll just be like, why fight? You were a bit of a jerk to me last week. But I'm cool. Because <laughs> I'm not hungry. Ah, here, have some, have some of my food. <laughs> I'll give you some food back. Because there's leftovers. Here, let me give you some leftovers. And your shalom. Let's pray. Can it be true, Jesus, that the church could be like this? The church is really a place to have a meal. And some people come into the midst and they can't even eat themselves. They're so hurting or so down or so prideful or so angry or so despaired. Brothers who are Christians and non-Christians. And can the church be like this? We pray, Lord, that this church could be a beacon of grace and we would taste of your shalom. We pray that there will be relationships mended in this church. We pray for people who are feeling like, oh, I'm just so tired and burnt out. That you would feed them with yourself. We feed by faith, not with teeth and mouth and hands, but by faith. And we're so poor, we need you to feed us by your spirit. Would you take a people weak and hungry and fighting and unhappy at times and make us happy. Fill us with your wonders and let there be so much left over because Jesus, you are endlessly satisfying. So give us eyes of faith. And would you do this miracle yet again in this church, this miracle that you do again and again, would you do this miracle and let Jesus be fed when the fool up front talks. Jesus into the hearts, into the chasm of your people. And shalom come forth. In your name we pray. Amen.